Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day you hear this. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode of Bible Bites as we continue reading through the scriptures this year. My reading today is the book of 2 Timothy, another one of Paul's letters that's a, a small letter. 2 Timothy chapters 1 through 4 comprise this book. The author is Paul. It was written near, shortly before, his death, which he knew at the time of this writing was impending. And I wanted to read a couple of little phrases here from the New King James Version Study Bible. These were just some notes in there. And, uh, and I, I agree with these. I think they're, they're very um, appropriate. And it says this, When death nears, priorities change. And he goes on, and, and I'm skipping a few things, but it says, that's why we listen to a person's last words. This book is Paul's last words. It's the last revelation. It's the last uh, words from Paul that we have in the scriptures. And it was written shortly, if not right before his impending crucifix or his death. He actually was um, beheaded. He and Peter both were killed near the same amount of time, in the same time frame. Peter was crucified, and tradition holds that he was crucified upside down, but Paul was beheaded in Rome. So Paul wrote this probably about 67 AD, shortly before he was beheaded. Chapter 1. I found this interesting because in verse 2, I just wanted to make this quick point. In verse 2, he makes this clear that this is to Timothy. But I found it interesting that in the first book, 1 Timothy, he calls him a true son in the faith. Now, however, when he's about to die, he calls him his beloved son. Paul knew that this was his final words to this son in the faith that he loved dearly. And so he is going to make it count, and we're going to see that. He packs this full, and he starts out right out, right out of the gate, thanking God for him and um, going on, and he gives charges to him in here. He's, he's, you know, very clear about how he wants Timothy because he knows he's about to leave, and Timothy will have to go on. And so he makes this book, even though it's short, it's chock full of beauty and information that we need to hear. It's interesting in verse 4 that we see that apparently that love that Paul had for Timothy was mutual. And Timothy also had it for Paul because he makes mention of Timothy's tears. So it was a mutual love between the two. I want to notice in verse 5 that he is referring here to Timothy's upbringing. He's talking about the faith that was passed on and, and embedded in him through his mother and through his grandmother. And 
God's desire is that we all pass on the faith to our children. That's part of the beauty of the Jewish feasts, because every time they celebrate the feast, they return to those stories. And those children grow up knowing who they are, where they came from, what God did on their behalf through those stories of the festivals. And God wants us to pass on the faith to our children. He wants that our children come into a relationship with him also. It's supposed to be a perpetual thing. God desires a godly offspring, it tells us in the Old Testament. So there is a legacy of faith that is intended to be generational. And it was so in young Timothy. Notice the legacy from his, not only his parents, but also from his grandparents. And I found this um, interesting in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 46 in Genesis, where we have a listing of all of Jacob's children, and he lists the children of the four different women. You know, you had the um, Rachel and Leah, and then their two, uh, con their two handmaids. And um, and in there, you'll find it's interesting, and, and when it really registered with me was when I got to Rachel, because I knew that Rachel only had two. She had Joseph and she had Benjamin. But if you read that list, the grandchildren are counted to her. And that showed me, the Lord showed me that, this was been a long time ago, the Lord showed me that we have influence not just to our children and a responsibility not just to our children, but also to our grandchildren to teach them and to show them the ways of God. There is a legacy of faith and a responsibility for us to be able to try to pass that on as we have children and grandchildren. And just like Paul was doing here, sons or daughters in the faith, those that may not be our true biological children, but are spiritual children, so to speak, in the sense that they are, um, they've been given to us in a sphere that we can influence. Maybe we've led them to the Lord or whatever, and that we're able to disciple them. In verse 6 and 7, Paul is encouraging Timothy to stir up the gift of God that's in him, that's been given to him. And I want to just mention that it, it actually means, the word stir up <clears throat> means to rekindle or to stoke the fire again, to get that fire burning again, that calling, that gift that was given to him. And to not fear, verse 7, we use this verse and we quote it a lot. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now this is true and this is um, applicable to any fear that we have. But I want to point out in the context here, Paul is speaking about being clear and standing up for Jesus in the face of threats and persecution. We're going to see that as he goes on. And so he's saying, don't, don't have any fear of man. He's talking about the fear of man specifically. Do not be intimidated. Don't be afraid, even in the face of possible threats, persecution, or death. Because God will empower you and endow you deep within your inner being with power, that ability and that might, that dunamis power, with love, knowing his deep and unfailing agape love, and with a sound mind. 
the ability to have your mind disciplined, self-controlled, and having it with soundness, not tossed about with worry, fear, or anxiety. Praise God. What a promise of peace and blessing that is to us in any way in which we may be afraid or be tempted to have fear. He goes on and he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. So in other words, he's saying, even in the face of persecution, don't retreat. You stand strong. You stand for Jesus. Stand for him. He goes on and he talks about how Jesus at his first coming, he says in verse 10, he has abolished death, rendered it entirely useless, inactive, made it inoperative, deprived it of force and power, and it has no more effect upon us. Now, is he saying that we won't physically die? No, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the wages of sin that brings death, talking about that eternal separation from God. That's We're free from that now. We're free from the power of that. It can't hold us. We are, Paul says in another place, to be absent with, from the body is to be present with the Lord. We are, we've got a home, and we're going home when we leave this body. And so he's encouraging young Timothy, with all of these words. He says in his first appearing of Jesus that he abolished death and that he brought into reality eternal life, the real kind of life, and immortality into our understanding and our view. Praise God. He goes on and he says, look at my example. He says, I'm even suffering these things. And, and I'm going to be faithful to the end because he's confident and persuaded in Jesus. In other words, Paul is saying, I entrust to him. He holds my life and my death. And be I alive or be I dead for the kingdom of God's sake, I will hold on. And I want you to know my example and follow that. So he goes on, he talks to him, he says, hold on to sound doctrine and truth and steward it as a good steward. Then he goes on in chapter two and he says, basically, he says this, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, you're not only to steward this and you're not only to do it yourself, you are also to be training up and reproducing, making disciples who will then go out and make other disciples. In other words, that's exactly what Paul has done with Timothy now. Paul has mentored Timothy. He's trained him. He's discipled him. He has modeled the faith for him. And now he's telling Timothy, I'm fixing to go home. You got to do this same thing that I've done for you. You keep it going. You keep it going. You commit these to faithful people who are going to do likewise and who are going to keep this alive. And they're going to make disciples just like I've made a disciple of you. You're making a disciple of them. Now it's their turn also. So be training them like I've trained you. Hallelujah. He goes on in verse uh, 3 and 4, and he gives an analogy of the military. 
he talks about how if you enlist in the military, it requires two things. Endurance. you got to stand and fight. you got to stay the course. And that's going to be times when you're sweaty and you're smelly and you're tired and you're ready to give up. And yet you can't. You've got to stay the course and you've got to keep fighting. He says it's going to take endurance. And he also says it's going to take focus. You got to keep your eyes on the end goal and don't let there be any distractions or anything else that will entangle you and take you away. You got to stay involved with with Jesus and with the end goal of what we're fighting for and who we're fighting for. He goes on the next in verse 5 he uses the analogy of an athlete. And he says, you know, to win the prize, you've got to play by the rules. You've got to stick it out, and you've got to endure, and you've got to finish. And you've got to finish according to what is set before you, what the race is supposed to be. He says this in verse 8 and 9. I want to read this one. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to, according to my gospel. In other words, I attested to it. For which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Beloved, the word can never be chained. It remains free at all times. And it can go forth from, from a prison cell. It can go forth from whatever. And it can accomplish its purpose. And it will, in fact, do just that. He speaks about how later in these verses to, to live to God and to be dead to sin, to endure, to deny yourself, deny and don't, don't, turn, don't turn back from God. In other words, don't deny the Lord. He says, uh, even if we're faithless, God is still faithful. Now, why is that true? Not because he wants to be necessarily. I mean, we haven't deserved it. That's what I mean but because he can't be anything else. One of his names in the Old Testament is El Amon. You'll find it in Deuteronomy 7, 9. He is the faithful God. He cannot be anything but who he is, and he will always be that. Do we frustrate that? Does that give us a license to sin? Paul has already told us that. He said, no, certainly not, absolutely not under any circumstances. But he is telling us here that God is still faithful to keep covenant with us even when we fall, even when we don't hold on like we're supposed to. He's a good God, and I pray you know him. He says in verse 15, this, he brings out the importance of diligent study and work and effort. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want to explain that to you. He's telling him, first of all, the importance of study. It's important, friend, that you get into and read the word of God, develop that as a daily habit every day, and also develop the discipline of study into the word. You could take a book and study a book. You can take a topic and study a topic. You can take a passage. However God leads you to do it. Maybe you want to study on faith and you want to understand faith more. Maybe you want to study the Gospel of John 
and really dig into it, whatever it is. God will lead you if you will ask him. But it's important to also study the word and understand it. That's when you get the understanding. And I just recommend, first of all, you know, get a Strong's Concordance and some other very godly and solid reference materials that will help you in the study. But remember that even commentaries and other things are people's opinions and interpretations of Scripture, and they do not hold the same weight. They are designed to help you in the study of Scripture, but they do not carry the same weight as the Scripture itself. And we're going to see why that is in just a moment. So the study of God's Word is important, but also he wants us, this word says, to rightly divide the Word of Truth. What that means is it's talking about making a straight cut or dissecting it and expounding it correctly. It's not talking about dividing the word that, you know, like, for instance, the Old Testament is no good anymore because now we have the new. It's not what it means. It means helping to expound how it all fits together, how and why. What was the purpose of the Old Testament and what in there applies to the New Testament? For instance, the Passover lamb. We can't fully understand the cross of Jesus and what was accomplished. We can't fully understand why John the Baptist called Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God, <coughs> excuse me, who takes away the sin of the world without understanding the connection to the Passover lamb and what its purpose was and how the blood had to be applied to the doorpost of each and every family. Each and every person home they had to apply it themselves to their homes. We need that understanding and that enriches it. That expounds it correctly. That's what it's talking about here. It's not talking about division as if it's two different things. It's talking about properly expounding how it's one book, but there are different ways that come together to fit this puzzle because it's made up of many puzzle pieces, so to speak, that God has done. And we're going to see that uh, specifically when we get to the book of Hebrews. He tells Timothy, avoid arguments and profane talk. In other words, don't get led astray from the truth. I wanted to read in verse 2, um, verse 19 through 21. I want to read verse 19. I, I, I'll speak about 21, I think. But 19 says this, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ Depart from iniquity. There's two different scriptures that are quoted there. The Lord knows his kids. He knows intimately everything about you. If you are one of the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ, you've been made a son or daughter of God. He knows you. He knows you. He knows. He sees. He knows right where you are. He knows how to keep you. He knows how to work in your life. He knows what you need. He knows every detail about you. And let that be a comfort to you. And not only that, but he also knows and, and draws you to leave sin. It says, let the, you know, don't, don't have any part of, of sin. He says, let those, everyone who names the name of Christ, depart 
from iniquity. There needs to be that change because we're called into holiness. We're called into a place of fellowship and relationship with the living and holy God. And to grow in him and to grow closer to him, let us depart from all other things that displease him. Praise God, because a relationship with him is far better than anything this world could offer you. He tells him to flee youthful lust and pursue things that are right. Avoid disputes because they only lead to strife. He gives the characteristics of a true servant of the Lord, one who is not quarrelsome, but gentle, able to teach, patient, humble. Humble talks about realizing our own littleness. He tells him to correct error and heresy, but to do so in a spirit of love and desire for that person, the people involved in that that have been deceived to be saved in the end and to know the truth. Chapter 3, he goes into um, a lot of discussion about the conditions that will be um, in the culture and society of the final last days, the farthest. And you read this and you will see this is speaking of the times that we live in. Now, we don't know exactly when the Lord's coming back. And we might say, well, it's been like this, you know, over the last 20, 30, 50 years. And it very well has. But it's increasingly so. And I believe that's true, and that's telling us that we are in some of the final, final days. So he gives the description of these times. Now, I want to point out, he says that in the last days, perilous times will come. That word is talking about them being difficult, not just dangerous. It, it does mean dangerous, brutal, uh, fierce, harsh, even savage. But it also is talking about a time that will almost reduce your strength. It's talking about a time that will be difficult to endure or hard to take, hard to bear. And if you read this list, you will see that we're already there. And I know for many, this particular year has been extremely hard to bear with the, the pandemic on, on us and so much else that has gone on in this year and in this season. So he describes these hard days, and I encourage you to read that, and you will see that we are in them. <clears throat> he gives instruction to us about these people that he describes here, and he says, avoid them. And he tells why we must avoid them in verses 6 through nine. He talks about how they try to creep into your homes and into your families and, you know, take captives with their, with their words and other things. He speaks about these um, two Egyptian magicians he calls Janus and Jambres that you can read the story in Exodus seven through nine of the magicians that stood against Moses. They were never named but apparently in Jewish tradition, they are named, and Paul references that here, and he speaks about that here, and God included it in his word. He tells Timothy, in spite of opposition and persecution for the gospel's sake, he says, God delivers us from every persecution and every trial that we have. Now, that's true, and that was true of Paul, because God did deliver him. He took him completely out of it through the, through the final end. 
So sometimes the deliverance from God will come. And Jesus even made a point of telling one church that it was the church of Smyrna, and you'll find it recorded in Revelation chapter 2. And specifically in verse 10, he tells the Smyrna church, which represented the persecuted church, and he tells them, he says, go ahead and be faithful to the end, even if you have to die for me, because I'm on the other side of that door of death, and I'm going to be waiting right there to hand you a crown. I'll be right there waiting on you. So sometimes the deliverance of the Lord may come through the door of death, but he will, in fact, deliver us from everything at all times. Praise be to God in his way and in his timing. And he continues giving us more details about these last days. But then he says in verse 14 through 17, in the light of all of this rising deception and evil in these last days, it is imperative to hold your ground and stand your ground in the truth. You cannot lose it. And then I want to read verses 15 through 17 of chapter 3. And that he's, he's talking about knowing um, the things. He says, continue in these things, knowing from whom you've learned them. Verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is a powerful portion of Scripture. Paul is telling him, you know the Holy Scriptures, and you know that they are well able to bring you to salvation. And then he goes on and he gives us the description about God's Word. He says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's literally God-breathed. That is why it is filled with inherent life and power. It is a book that is alive. God's Word is alive. The Holy Spirit breathed life into it, and when necessary, He will choose those rhema words. I've talked to you about those in many other places. He will choose those rhema words and speak them directly to your heart and to your mind in any situation when you need them, just like he did when Jesus needed those rhema words, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, and we have him coming back with, it is written, and he used a rhema word against the enemy. The reason is the reason that makes it a living word, a rhema word, is because it's God-breathed. And it is a book that is alive. The scriptures are alive. And they will work and they will do what they need to do. It is alive and able to draw people to salvation and to teach us. So Paul goes on here and he says it is advantageous or beneficial to accomplish for the purpose of Doctrine, meaning instruction. Now, instruction in the scriptures can come through bold direction, principles, 
guidance or guidelines and examples. All of those things give us doctrine from the scriptures and guidance in life. It is useful and advantageous for reproof. Now, reproof really is talking about approving, like a testing or when you would assay a metal to see what it's made of. So it includes the, the idea of conviction. And we need conviction when we stray. People need conviction of the Holy Spirit of God to be drawn to get saved in the first place. And even after we're saved, we mess up. And so we need the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God is good for that. It is also good. Now, let me, let me take it to the next level. He says it's good for doctrine, reproof, correction. So in other words, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's not to condemn us. It's not to beat us over the head, but rather it is to give us correction. When we receive that conviction and we repent of our sin, then the Holy Spirit takes it to the next level and the word of God then can correct us. That means it straightens us up again. It rectifies the situation and restores us to a right standing in other words, it helps us to fix the problem. We had a problem. We repented of it. We were, we were convicted about it. We repented of it. Now we've got to fix that problem. And the Word of God shows us how to fix it. Then it also gives us instruction in righteousness. In other words, it takes it to the next level. Not only does it fix the problem, but it also tells us how to stay out of that kind of trouble so we don't get into that problem again. In other words, it gives us those instructions for living free and living a right life and staying on track so we don't fall into those ditches and fall away and get back into the cycle all over again. Now, when we do, guess what? The Word of God does it all over again. But that's what it's designed to do. So it's a full, well-rounded course for us, so to speak. It's a full book of nourishment and, and healthiness for us. And it's beneficial and advantageous for all of those things. And the end goal is that the Christian grows up and becomes complete and fully equipped so that they can finish out their race and their course. Now, I'm going to quickly go through chapter 4 and make a few other points as I begin to draw to a close today. Paul's last of his last words are recorded in chapter 4, and you will see that. And here is where he really bears his heart for this beloved son in the faith. This gives him his, uh, this is when he gives his summary and his deepest intents of his heart to his son, who he knows he's fixing to leave behind and will have to continue on without him. So first of all, he starts out with a charge. I charge you, therefore, that's a solemn testimony to him. It's an attestation. And he goes on and he says, this is what I'm charging you to do. Verse 2, preach the word. In other words, do not stop telling people about Jesus, expounding the word of God. You preach the word. You don't preach other things. You don't get off track. You preach the word of God. Be ready in season and out of season. In other words, you be ready when it's, when it's an opportune time and when it's not. When you feel like it and when you don't. When it's convenient and when it's not. You be ready. 
You be ready whenever God needs you. You be ready whenever you're called upon. He says then to convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So he's telling him, you got a job to do. Now, this is what all it involves. He goes on and he gets, again, speaking of the end times, he talks about the time that's coming. And we are living in it, friend. We are living in the time when people don't want to hear sound doctrine. They don't want to hear the words that will bring them true life and health. They don't want to hear convicting words. They don't want to hear the words about God's holiness and that we are called to live a life of holiness. They don't want to hear about the words of God's judgment that there is sig- there is true judgment coming. They don't want to hear about heaven and hell. They just want to hear the pleasant things, the positive things, the sweet sounding things. And and Paul is warning him. He says that day is coming. But you, verse five, he says, but you, in other words, you, you don't be like that. You know, I'm counting on you to be different. He says, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. In other words, you stay the course, you stay the course and you do what I've trained you to do. You do what you know is right. You stay put and you don't let these other people draw you away. Then he goes on and he says, verse uh, six through eight, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He speaks about how he is his own example now for Timothy. He's, his confession is, I've fought a good fight. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday. There's a good fight and there's a bad one. There's a wrong one. He says, I fought the good fight. Stay, stay and follow my example. Fight the good fight like I have. I've finished my race. I haven't stopped. I haven't quit. I've finished. You got to finish. It's not just about starting. It's also about finishing. And I've kept the faith. I've kept my eye on it. I've watched and I've guarded it. Notice in verse 11 how he calls Mark. He speaks about Mark. He wants Mark to come and bring, uh, to come with him. He says, for he is useful to me for ministry. Remember, this is the John Mark that at one time Paul separated from Barnabas over and, and wouldn't continue in the ministry with him, but now has been reconciled. Praise God, because God desires reconciliation. And then I want to read, I want to end by reading verse 18, because this is a, an excellent promise that we need to remember also. He says, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And we say, amen. I pray this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you.